Um, so I wanted to start us off um, thinking about that question because I think how we answer it will have a massive impact on how we pray if we're people of prayer, right? So if how, what we think the point of being a Christian is will really shape how we pray. So if we, if we think that, that the point of being a Christian is that God makes us happy, then we're going to pray, God, please make me happy. Does that make sense? If we think that the point of being a Christian is that God will keep us safe, we'll pray, God, please keep me safe and maybe our loved ones safe. If we think that the point of being a Christian is to get to heaven, we'll pray, God, please let us go to heaven, right? And it's exactly the same for the Apostle Paul. Except that Paul doesn't answer the question, what is the point of being a Christian in any of those ways? What shapes this breathtakingly bold, beautiful, awesomely ambitious prayer that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus and and actually for all Christians is Paul's God-given grasp of the breathtaking, wonderful, astonishingly ambitious purpose that God has for us, for his people. Paul prays big because he sees how big God's purposes are for his people. Not just to make them happy, though certainly there's, a, there's, there's blessing. Not just to keep them safe, though certainly there's refuge. Not just to get us to heaven, though certainly there's hope. But rather, to fill us with his presence, that we might be an outpost of heaven on earth. Chapter 2, verse 22, Paul writes, In him, that's in Christ, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. That's what God's up to. He's, He's building us together into a place for him to dwell. And it's for this reason, chapter 3, verse 14, that he prays. For the church at Ephesus to be God-filled people living God-filled lives. God-filled people living God-filled lives with hearts filled with with the presence of Christ, minds filled with the love of Christ, lives filled with the fullness of God. That's Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. And um, let's look at it together now so that we might make it our prayer for this church too. So first, hearts filled with the presence of Christ. Have a look with me. If you've closed your Bibles, great to open them up again so we can look at God's Word together. At page 1174, chapter 3, verse 14, Paul starts like this. He says, For this reason, because God's making you into a dwelling place by his Spirit, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul asked God to strengthen the believers so that through the power of his Spirit, Christ might dwell in their hearts as they trust in him by the power of faith. And you might reasonably think, hang on a minute, I thought Paul was writing to Christians. So so Paul's praying that that Christ will will dwell in their hearts by faith, but but he's already there, right? If If they're believers then they've already been united to Christ. By his spirit, Christ Christ does live in their hearts. And that's absolutely right. Paul isn't praying here that Jesus would move in 
to the hearts of the Ephesian church. He's praying that Jesus would make himself at home. Not that Jesus would move in. He's already done that if we're Christians. But that Jesus would make himself at home in their hearts and in our hearts. Don Carson, in his excellent book, A Call to... The title's so bad, I have to look it up. Um, but the, the book is good. A Call to Spiritual Reformation. Rubbish title, but the book's great. And he, he, he gives a really helpful illustration of, of how this works. He says, imagine um, a young couple buy their first house. Now, central London, you might have to, to just live with imagining, right? But imagine that you buy, you buy your first house, and, and the reason they've been able to afford it is that loads is wrong with the house, right? That the, the wallpaper is pink and black stripes everywhere, and there's a load of, the, the basement is just full of rubbish and junk from like three or four previous owners, pardon top of it. And actually the roof leaks. But over time, they get to work. They fix it up, they, they redecorate it, they do the little backyard garden until it's been remade into their home. And in his book, Carson says, that's a picture of what it means for Jesus to make himself at home in our hearts is for him to go to work. Because morally speaking, when Jesus moves in, when we become Christians, he finds all kinds of rubbish in the basement. All kinds of horrible wallpaper being displayed out to the world. All kinds of leaks, all kinds of gaps, all kinds of mess. And over time, as he makes himself at home, we're transformed just like that house. And that's something that we cannot do ourselves God gives us the strength to trust him, the power to let Christ take charge of our lives so that he can transform us and truly dwell within us. And it's not an instruction. That's the wonderful thing about these verses. It's not an instruction. Paul doesn't write, make yourself somewhere Jesus would feel at home. Instead, he prays, I pray that God would strengthen you by the power of his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul is not inviting us, God is not inviting us into a kind of self-improvement DIY project, which is good because I'm really bad at DIY. He's inviting us to receive the power of Christ at work in our lives. And the goal here, and this is important, the goal here is not ultimately to become a better person, to to become the kind of person that Jesus would be happy to dwell in. No, no, it's something much more wonderful and, dare I say, mysterious than that. The goal here is for Jesus Christ actually to dwell in our hearts. The goal is that, that, that we are brought into the triune love of God as the Father strengthens us through his Spirit so that his Son, the Lord Jesus, might make himself at home in our being, the very core of who we are, filled with the presence of Christ. Isn't that a great thing to pray for ourselves and for one another? Father, I pray that please strengthen me, please strengthen my brother, please strengthen my my sister with the power of your spirit so that Christ might make himself at home in their hearts. And what a thing to pray for us as a church. I don't know if you ever do pray for us as a church. I'm trying to get better at praying for, for, for this body of believers together. Father, please strengthen us with the power of your spirit so that Christ makes himself at home in our hearts. So Paul prays for hearts filled with the presence of Christ. 
And he prays for minds filled with the love of Christ. Have a look with me um, at the second half of verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So Paul's prayer is that together God's people, strengthened by God's power, might somehow begin to grasp the limitless love of Christ, to know this love that is beyond all human knowledge. Paul longs for their minds to be filled with the love of Christ. And so I want to take a, a moment now together to reflect on the love of Christ, to fill our minds with it. Um, based on what we've already seen in the first, before we get to this point of Ephesians. How wide is the love of Christ? In a world of distance, of difference, of boundaries, of division, the love of Christ transcends all that. No one from any nation, from any background, or any culture is beyond his love. And through the love of Christ, the dividing war between Jew and Gentile, and with it, all other divisions within humanity have brought crashing to the ground so that all human beings, wherever they're from, whatever they've done, can be part of God's people. How wide is the love of Christ? How long is the love of Christ? We did nothing to make Christ love us, nothing to earn his love. Instead, he loved us before the very foundation of the world. He loved us before creation itself. And once we're united to him, we can do nothing to lose his love, nothing to unearn his love. His love is from eternity to eternity, and it extends unbreaking, unchanging, and unfailing forever. How long is the love of Christ? How deep, sorry, how high is the love of Christ? Through the love of Christ, we're raised up into heaven. We're seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. We're in the very presence, in the throne room of God. Not because we deserve to be there. Not because of anything we've done. But simply because of the love of Christ. How high is the love of Christ? How deep is the love of Christ? The depths of our sin, of our evil, of our rebellion against God are no match for the love of Christ. When we were dead in our sins, Christ came down into our death and darkness and out of love made us alive in him. The deepest, most terrible secrets of our past, hidden in our hearts, Christ sees them all and says to each one of us, I love you. How deep is the love of Christ? And we see how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ the cross. Jesus lifted up high between heaven and earth, plunged into the depths, the deeps of darkness of God's judgment on sin, arms open wide to welcome all who would trust in him as he bore the whole long history of human sin in one afternoon. As the hymn says, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? This is the love of Christ. 
beyond our comprehension, higher, wider, longer, deeper than we could ever know. And we are called to let that love fill our field of vision, stretch in all directions until there's nothing we can see except through that love. And none of this is an instruction. None of this is try really hard to understand God's love until you see it properly. It's all a prayer. I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that Paul makes us see surpasses knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. We can't study this to success. We can't grasp it on our own. We need God's power at work among us, together as his people, so that our minds might be filled with the limitless love of Christ. So let's pray. Let's pray for ourselves and for one another. Father, please give me, please give my sister, please give my brother strength to grasp more and more quite how big Jesus' love really is. Let's pray for ourselves as a church. Father, give us the power together as your people in this place grasp somehow the limitless love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul prays for hearts filled with the presence of Christ, for minds filled with the love of Christ, and for lives filled with all the fullness of God. Look with me at the second half of verse 19. So Paul says he's he's prays all this so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And it's tempting, isn't it, to go, oh, that sounds nice, I like that. I don't know what it means. Filled, with all the full, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Here's what, I, here's what it means. It means to be like God. God is full of goodness. Every single, every, there's nothing in him that isn't goodness. There's nothing in him that isn't love. There is nothing in him that isn't kindness. There's nothing in him that isn't patience. He's full of those things to the full measure. And so to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God is to be like God. To be filled with those things. To be full of goodness, of patience, of love, of kindness, of gentleness, of justice. And if we want to know what that looks like, just, we just have to look at Jesus. Here's Jesus. He's fully human, like us, and yet filled to the measure of the fullness of God so that goodness and love and patience flow out of him. But they don't flow out of me. <laughs> I don't know about you, but they don't flow out of me. Yesterday, things didn't go to plan and I'm, I'm sure you can empathize, you find that what flow, you'd love what flows out of you to be just streams of patience and gentleness. Streams of love. What about frustration? Or impatience or anger? That's reality, isn't it? And so I don't know about you, but for me, this, my heart aches when I read this, to be filled with the fullness of God. So that that's what comes out. That's what flows out of me. So that when people encounter me, spend time with me, they don't go away thinking he's full of himself. (laughs) 
or he's full of frustration, or even he's full of energy, or he's full of ideas, but somehow they go away knowing, having experienced that he's full of God. Maybe they never put it that way, but that's, that's what it's like. Imagine, imagine being that kind of person, so that if someone met you, they went away thinking that person was full of God. Don't you want that? What about for us? For this church to be that place where someone comes on a Sunday or, or comes to an inspired Wednesday evening and they don't leave thinking they're full of themselves, they're happy, aren't they? Or even, you know, seem nice enough. But for people to come away thinking they're full of God. Maybe if they never said it that maybe if they never say it that way, they're full of God. And again, this is not an instruction. It's not an instruction to be more Christ-like. It's a prayer that we may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Even the picture that Paul chooses to use reinforces our dependence. We're not reaching to the fullness of God. We're not striving for the fullness of God. We're being filled. We're receiving the fullness of God as we grow in Christ-likeness. So let's pray. Let's pray for ourselves, one another. Father, please, please fill me. I need you. Please fill me. Please fill my brother. Please fill my sister with, with all of your fullness. That we might grow more like your son. Pray, let's pray for ourselves as a church. Father, fill us with your fullness. With all that you are. That we might grow to maturity, to be full as the body of Christ. That's a massive prayer, right, from Paul? <laughs> Hearts filled with the presence of, of Christ, minds filled with the love of Christ, lives filled with the fullness of God. Where does Paul get the kind of... Why does Paul pray so big? Well, part of it we saw right at the start. Because he's not set on his plans or his purposes or any human being's ideas about what God's up to or what, what, what human being wants. He's on God's purposes, God's plans to build them into a living, build his people into a living temple where God can dwell and does dwell on earth by the power of his spirit. But before we close, let's look at another reason Paul's, Paul prays big. Last thing, verse 20. What a verse. What a verse. Now, to him who is able to do, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. <laughs> do you see what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, you know all that massive stuff that I've just prayed that God would do within us, that we might be filled with the presence of Christ, with the love of Christ, filled with all the fullness of God? God looks at that and says, yeah, I can do, that's nothing. We pray as big as we can pray. We reach as high as we can reach. We imagine as big as we can imagine. And Paul says, that's not scratching the surface. Paul can, God can do immeasurably, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. In other words, if we pray in line with God's purposes like Paul does, there's nothing God cannot do. There's nothing that is beyond his power. There's no prayer he cannot answer. Prayer is actually astonishingly, incomprehensibly, immeasurably powerful because the God who hears and answers prayer is astonishingly, immeasurably, and incomprehensibly powerful. So brothers and sisters, let's pray. 
There's lots of things that we think are important. Start of a new academic year, getting shaped, doing things. There's lots of things we think are important. Let's pray. Let's carve out time each day to spend with God in his presence, speaking to him. Let's pray through the day, firing up short prayers of thanks and asking for help. Let's gather on Sundays excited, not just to sing, not just to hear God's word, but to pray together as his people. Let's make Wednesday prayer gatherings and inspire groups a top priority so we might pray together. And let's not just pray, let's pray big. Let's go beyond prayers that reflect our plans, our purposes, our priorities, and pray prayers as big as God's plans, God's purposes, God's priorities for us. That we may be fooled, filled with the presence of Christ, overwhelmed with the love of Christ, live lives overflowing with the goodness and love of God, so the world might look at us, his church, and see God at work, and say to him be the glory To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever.